At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. God, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus, because all the glory belongs to you, Lord. Because you deserve it, Lord. Because we don't deserve it. Our friends don't deserve it, Lord. Our family doesn't deserve it, Lord. But you deserve it. Because you are the one and only, Lord. You are the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. So, God, we praise you today. We worship you today. We thank you today. We thank you that you deserve it, Lord. And that you went before us, Lord, because we couldn't earn it before, for ourselves, God. So we just worship you today, Lord. And we pray that you would move. God, open our hearts, open our minds right now, Lord, that we can receive your word, Lord, that we can receive what you have for us, Lord, because we know that you deserve it. We know that you deserve all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. So we worship you, Jesus, and we pray that you would open our hearts to what you have to say. In your name, amen. Put your hands together, you can be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Drew, uh, Drew Clarkson, for anyone I haven't had the opportunity to meet yet. Um, and I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but it's officially Christmas week. Isn't that crazy? I don't know about you, but it doesn't feel like Christmas week to me. I think it's been a pretty crazy year. A lot of unexpected things have happened. A lot of things that we didn't plan for, or never even would have imagined would happen have happened. And to me, it doesn't feel like Christmas. I don't know what your traditions are like at Christmas, but when I, when I think of Christmas, I think of giving gifts. I think of being with family, giving, receiving gifts, eating a lot of good food. Uh, I don't know whatever your traditions are. I don't know if your family's really into the gift-giving tradition. Maybe if you're completely honest, you believe that simply spending time with your family or with your in-laws for an extended period of time over the holidays should be enough gift for them. If you're not laughing, that's probably you, but that's okay. Uh, whatever your traditions are on Christmas, whatever you think about giving gifts, I think we can all remember a moment, uh, maybe at Christmas, maybe for a birthday, maybe for a different holiday, when we saw someone or we were the person who gave another person a gift thinking it was the perfect gift, thinking it was exactly what that person wanted or needed. But when the person received the gift, when the person took the gift, the, the, the giver quickly realized that the person receiving the gift didn't actually want that. I think we've all seen or experienced that in a moment in our life. I've, I've actually been recently told a story uh, about me that kind of resonates with this. When I was a one-year-old, um, uh, we were celebrating Christmas with my mom's family. Who knows Molly Clarkson? A couple people, yeah. Give Molly Clarkson a round of applause. She's watching online. Um, but that's my mom, right? So we're spending Christmas with her family, her parents, her brothers, her sisters, and I was a one-year-old, and I'm the oldest grandchild in my mom's family, so pretty much the whole Christmas was about me. Everyone wanted to give me gifts. The grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, everyone had a gift that they thought was the perfect gift, and they were so excited to give it to me. There was only one problem. On that Christmas, there was only one gift I wanted. If you look behind me, we're gonna see that gift. Yes. Yep. So as you can see, it's only gone downhill 
since then for me. Um, but that's the only gift I wanted was that red and yellow car. And I got it. In fact, when I ran down the stairs, it was the first thing I saw. It had a bow on top of it. And I wanted it because my buddy Ryan had had one. He got one for his birthday or something. And ever since he had one, I was jealous of him, and I wanted one. So that Christmas, when I went down the stairs and I saw it, I hopped right in it, and I drove around it all day. To the extent where I wouldn't even, I refused to open anyone else's gifts. Can you imagine my mom, for those of you who know Molly, can you imagine the terror on her face as she sat there all Christmas long with all of her family and watched her only son not even open anyone else's gifts. They thought they knew what I wanted, but actually the only person who knew what I, knew what I wanted was my mom. I don't know if you guys have experienced something like that, if you've been that person, if you've been the giver or the receiver, uh, but I think we've all probably seen that at one point or another in our lives. But maybe if we're more honest with each other, with ourselves, uh, we'll admit that we do this probably in our most, most important relationship uh, quite often. That is our relationship with God where we think we're giving God what he wants. We're thinking that we're giving God exactly what he's calling for us to give him. But in actuality, we realize uh, that the things we're giving him, the things we're offering to God aren't actually what he wants. And this is exactly what happened uh, in the story we're going to read today with David. David thought he knew what God wanted and what God needed, but he was completely wrong. So let's turn in our Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7 today. And in this passage, we find uh, a covenant that God made with David. We've been going through this series for the past couple weeks, a series about covenants um, called Gift Wrapped. And we've been discovering that uh, all, all God's covenants are fulfilled in Jesus. And these covenants fulfill uh, the deepest longings and desires of our heart. And this covenant's no different. Uh, to put it simply, the covenant, uh, the, the covenant that God made with David that's called or referred to as the Davidic covenant, uh, to put it simply, is a covenant where God promised David to make a kingdom from his lineage and from the tribe of Judah. And this kingdom, God promised, would be established forever. And what's cool about this covenant is we can uh, draw a lot of connections from uh, the, the Davidic covenant to the covenants we've been looking at in the past couple of weeks. See, we have the Abrahamic covenant where God promised to bring worldwide blessing to all people. And then we have the Mosaic covenant where God provided the law for those people. And now we have the Davidic covenant where God actually gives the king. And this king perfectly fulfills the law in the Mosaic covenant. And he's the one through whom blessing would be realized throughout all the world, throughout all nations, throughout all people. And when we look at this covenant, we're going to see a beautiful truth today. And that truth is that you can't serve God better than God serves you. Throughout this text, we're going to see what this, uh, this, this idea, this concept means in three main ways. And the first thing we're going to see is that God doesn't need our work for his glory. God doesn't need our work for his glory. So let's turn in our text. Again, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting with verse 1. We're going to go all the way to verse 17. Bear with me. Uh, we've broken it into three sections today uh, to make it a little easier uh, to understand and get the whole story here. But we're going to start in verse 1. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the words should be behind me on the screen. It says, Now when the David lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the Lord dwells in the tent. And Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. 
But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So when we look at this first section, we can see clearly that David saw uh, and had one perspective, uh, but God had a clearly different perspective, right? David looked at his current surroundings, and he saw that, that he was living in a beautiful temple, uh, a beautiful house, excuse me, uh, and he was experiencing rest and peace from all his enemies. So he looked at his current surroundings. He's in his beautiful palace. He has rest from all his uh, enemies. And then he looks at the ark of God. And the ark of God is important because it represents the presence of God. And when he looked at the dwelling place of the ark of God, he sees and knows that the ark of God has been dwelling in a tent. So when he compares his dwelling place in this beautiful palace to the ark of God, which represents the presence of God, David desires to build God a temple. And I don't know about you, but when I initially hear that or read this story, I think, wow, that's a great idea. That makes sense. In fact, I think that's even a righteous thing to do from my perspective. And it was from David's perspective too. And actually, his prophet Nathan, who's the same prophet who called out his sin with Bathsheba, um, he initially agrees with David as well. He says, go and do all this in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But again, we, saw, we see clearly that God saw the situation one way, but David saw the situation another way. And, uh, and uh, God actually goes to Nathan later that night, and he, uh, he tells Nathan to ask David this question. And the question is, would you build me a house to dwell in? God's asking David, would you build me a house to dwell in? The emphasis on the word you in this question implies the obvious answer. No, when David heard this question, he knew that the Lord did not want to build him a temple. God then goes even further and reminds him of the history. He gives him a history lesson in a sense. and reminds him that for the past 300 years, his dwelling place, the dwelling place of the ark of God has been in a tent. And he finishes this section with another rhetorical question where he emphasizes that at any point during those 300 years, he could have asked one of his judges or one of his kings to build him a temple, but he didn't. See, when we rely on our own instincts and intuitions as we serve God, we can easily find ourselves in a situation like David found himself here where he thought he knew what God wanted, but God actually wanted something completely different. Uh, I remember when I, um, I served as a missionary in Thailand for one year. And I'll never forget the first day I landed, I got settled in, and then I went out to, to lunch with a pastor and his wife. It was a local pastor, a Thai pastor. And we were just talking over lunch, getting to know each other. He was telling me a little about the culture of his people. He's telling me a little bit about what I would be doing. And one of the things I'd be doing is teaching and preaching, which I was very excited about. Uh, but then he tells me something that I wasn't so excited about. And that is that uh, in his culture, in, their, in the culture of the people that I was going to be living with in Thailand, the Aka people, he told me that it's important as a pastor or a missionary or a teacher that you're always prepared to give a message at any moment. Because in their culture, you never know when you're going to have to preach. You never know when you're going to have to Run, teach a class or, or, or give a short word about God. So he said he always had a couple sermons ready in case he went about his day and realized that he would have to preach. And I remember listening to him say this at lunch, and I was thinking in my head, my instincts and intuitions in my head were saying, honestly, I believe that happens to you. 
but there is no chance that's actually going to happen to me. So I didn't take his advice. I didn't take his advice. I didn't prepare any sermons. I didn't prepare uh, any classes or, or short studies on the word of God. And lo and behold, three months later, he called me on a Friday night. I remember, I'll never forget this call. It was like 10, 11, 12, maybe even o'clock at night. And he called me, hey, Drew, how's your day going? We talked about a couple things. Uh, and he said, oh, by the way, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., I got a bunch of pastors coming to our Bible school, and I need you to teach a class for six hours. And I said, well, great. What do you want me to teach? He said, whatever you've been preparing is fine. <laughs> at that moment, I knew I was in trouble. And trust me, I had a very long night. See, when we rely on our own instincts and intuitions, even though they might seem logical in our own heads, we can often find ourselves in a situation when we're serving God like David found himself here. See, building an amazing house from, for God seemed like a great idea from David's perspective. And it even makes sense when we read it today. But we see here that God didn't need David's work for his glory. How foolish was it for David to think that God needed a temple for his presence to dwell him when he had redeemed them and brought them out of exile in Egypt. But like David, we as Christians, I think, often devise plans and projects and works for God that our instincts and intuitions tell us are what God wants. But we need to understand that God doesn't need our plans and our projects. He wants our hearts. He wants our humble obedience to his word. He wants our humble obedience to what he says. Just like I should have taken and, and listened humbly in obedience when Pastor John told me that I needed to be ready to preach anytime. That's the same thing God desires from us. God doesn't need our work for his glory. But not only does God not need our work for his glory, God also works on our behalf to bring us to rest. God works on our behalf to bring us to rest. Let's pick back up in 2 Samuel, starting with verse 8. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be my prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all the enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones on the earth. Verse 10. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The second thing we see here is that God works on our behalf to bring, us to, to bring us to rest. God had already worked on David's behalf to bring him to rest. And this kind of second point that God is making to David, he uses a different name for himself. He calls himself the Lord of hosts. Now this phrase, this name for God is used a couple times in Samuel. Each time it's used uh, intentionally to emphasize God's sovereignty and his power. And it's no different here because uh, God is about to remind David who is actually in control of his life and who has the power over his life. First he reminds David to look at the past. He tells David to remind to remember how God brought him from being a shepherd, from tending the sheep in the field to being prince and now king over Israel. Not only that, he's cut off all the enemies from around him. David was experiencing a season of rest in his country over king as as king over Israel. And it was all because of God. God consistently uses I and the Lord of hosts to emphasize that he is the one who has done these things. But second, looking into the future, God promises to give David a name 
a place of peace and rest. See, as David was sitting in his temple, while he was experiencing the rest from all his enemies in his beautiful palace, he probably thought that God had completed all the promises he was going to complete in his life. But here God begins to reveal to David that he was mistaken. And that God starts to give David a picture of how his promise would be completed even more so in the future. And to a far greater and more beautiful extent than David could have ever asked for and imagined. And all of this, God reminds David, he's the one who worked for David in the past. He's the one who's working for David in the present. And he's the one who's going to work and continue to work for David in the future. And it's the same for us today. God has worked and brought us from pastures. God has, uh, is working on our behalf right now in defeating enemies and barriers in our life that we don't even see. Even if we don't see it, God is doing it. And God is going to continue to work for us in the future. God is going to continue to complete the work that he started in us. This is the story of God. God works for us. And we can rest in him. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, this is exactly what God has done for us. He's taken us from that terrible past. He's given us a new name. And he desires to bring us peace and rest in Jesus Christ. Are you experiencing that rest right now? For those of you who are following Jesus, do you feel that rest? Do you feel that eternal sense of rest? If not, why not? Maybe we need to look back in the past. Maybe we need to look in the present and see what God is doing in our life. I, I know when I, whenever I'm in moments where I'm... Uh, I'm frustrated or I don't see God. Anytime I take a step back and I actually look at what's going on in my life, I can see God answering prayer after prayer after prayer. And it's so important that we do that because God is continuing to work on our behalf. He is the one who brings us to rest. It reminds me of a verse in um, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, which says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is life. This, this is the type of life that we are to experience. That God desires for us to experience as his followers. As his children. As his sons and daughters. A life where our burden is light. Where our yoke is easy. This doesn't mean we don't work for God. God still has worked for us. God still prepared works for us from before the foundation of the world. But God desires us to work and follow him in obedience out of rest. Because God has already done the ultimate work for our life. The last thing we're going to look at in this passage uh, is, is we can see that God provides a forever king to serve us. God provides a forever king to serve us. Let's pick back up in our passage here. Uh, in the middle of verse 11, starting with the word moreover. It says, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever.
forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. The first thing that sticks out to me is the original question that Nathan brought to David on behalf of God of would you build me a house to dwell in is turned on its head as God tells David that he is going to build him a house. See, David wanted to build God a temple for his ark, but God was going to build David a house. And this wasn't a temple, I mean a house built built with human hands as David understood it, but God was going to build him an eternal house, a house that would last forever because that house wasn't a house built with human hands. That house was built off a person. Declared both in verse 13 and 16 when it says, this kingdom, this royal rule of David's offspring will be established forever. It is pointing to a later descendant of David who would rule and reign forever. It points to a forever king in the future. And this king is God's son, chosen by God, loved by God, and that king is Jesus. Jesus is our forever king. And the beautiful part about this covenant that God made with David is it was an unconditional covenant. There were a lot of descendants that came from David's lineage, but not all of them followed God. So I'm sure there were times as Israel was waiting for their Messiah where they doubted, where they weren't sure if God was actually going to make good on his promise. They weren't sure if God had forgotten about him. Does it sound like your life? But the beautiful part, again, about this covenant is it was unconditional. It was bound by God alone. And when God promised that he would make David a house, God was going to make David a house. And that house is Jesus, the forever king. From the beginning of the New Testament, Jesus is introduced as this king. It says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In other words, God is immediately showing from the beginning of the New Testament that God kept his covenant with David, where the purpose of God would find its ultimate end and where all the people of the world can be blessed through his atoning sacrifice and glorious victory over sin. See, because God kept his covenant with David, we have a forever king in Jesus who served us and who opened the door of salvation to all people. So do we know this king today? Do we have a relationship with Jesus what is Christmas about for us? Is it about Jesus or is it about gifts? Do we have that relationship with Jesus? If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet, Romans 10, 9 teaches us, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God rose him from the dead, in other words, that he completed the work that he was set out to do from the foundation of the world, then you will be saved. I want to encourage you today, if that's you, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet today, that today can be the day. Today can be the day where you finally place your faith in Jesus as the one who came from David's lineage, from the offspring of Abraham, the one who completed the work that God gave him on earth, who rose from the dead. And you can put your faith and trust in him today and experience this rest that this passage is talking about. But wherever you find yourself today, I pray that we can all praise God, that God kept his covenant with David and sent us Jesus, who is the forever king, that it was an unconditional covenant. And I think this really is the good news of the gospel for me. This is the good news of today that we can, that we can leave from here with, that when God made his promise all the way back thousands of years ago to Abraham, that through his offspring, all people of the world will be less. And then when he confirmed that promise in David and doubled down on it, telling David that from his lineage, from the tribe of Judah, he would establish a kingdom that lasts forever, those promises were talking about us. Those promises we're talking about us today right here in Pontiac. We are the recipients of that blessing.
And again, that blessing is Jesus and the opportunity to experience his rest in a world where everything seems to be in turmoil and chaos during a Christmas that doesn't even seem like Christmas. We can have rest in our souls because God has already completed the work for us and we have a forever king in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you. We praise you, God. We thank you for who you are. God, I pray that you would remind us today that you're a covenant keeper, that when you made your covenant with Abraham, that when you made your covenant with David, Lord, you kept it. That we are the recipients of that covenant, Lord, that we're the ones who get to experience the blessings from your promises today, right here in Pontiac, right now in this service, God. We praise you for that, Lord. We worship you for that. We thank you for that, Lord. Because if the covenant had been conditional and dependent on us, Lord, we would have failed. But because the covenant was unconditional, because it was bound by you, because you were going to make good on your word no matter what, we can have rest today. We can have salvation today, Lord. So if there's anyone today, Lord, who doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day. I pray that for those of us who do know you, Jesus, that we'd be reminded of the rest that we can live in today, this Christmas season, Lord, and for the rest of our lives. Because God will complete the work that he started in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.